you guys have your Bibles, feel free to open them up or turn them on. We'll be hanging out in Psalm chapter 63 tonight. So Psalm 63, that's where we're going to be as we continue, or excuse me, back up, as we start this series that we're calling No Hard Feelings. And so I'll get to a little bit later on in this message why we're calling it this. Um, but tonight we are going to begin this series together, and to do so, we're going to be in Psalm 63. So if this is your first time with us, hey, thanks for hanging out. My name is Jesse, and so we're going to be got, diving into this new series tonight. And so if you have your Bibles, as I've said probably more times than I need to, you can open them up. Um, if not, uh, we're going to have the verses on the screen, so feel free to follow along with us there as well. So one thing that I'm convinced is that you never forget the first time that your heart's broken. And for me, it was at the age of 13, when I was in seventh grade, with a tender heart. So on paper, we really were the storybook couple. Living out a middle school fairy tale. I, a star football player who had just recently become obsessed with Michael Jackson, She, the popular cheerleader, for some odd reason, didn't think that was weird. So as you can imagine, we were a a match made in heaven. And despite my awkwardness and spiked hair and lack of fashion sense, I was able to sweep this girl off her feet and convince her that I was her Prince Charming. In fact, here's a picture of Prince Charming for you. You guys get an idea of what he looked like? (laughs) Couple of things here, couple of things. Uh, first of all, it was not cool to take selfies back then. Definitely not a thing. Uh, secondly, this was done with a disposable camera, which is what makes the picture even weirder. So yeah, so you could just keep that idea in your mind as we walk through this story because when me and this girl started dating, this guy fell hard for her. I mean, he fell so hard. And all the emotions that you experience in just typical relationships because this was like my first real girlfriend. I had never experienced these type of emotions before. The emotions of like excitement when you sit around counting down the hours as you wait to hang out with somebody that night. Or how happy it makes you when your phone goes off and you realize that it's a text message from them and they just wanna see what you're up to. Of course, I didn't have a phone back then, so it was a computer, but anyways, that just dates me. or even just the love that you feel towards somebody who wants to spend as much time with you as you want to spend with them. And so all these great emotions that you experience in relationships were in my life for about six months until one day, one heart-wrenching day, when this girl finally realized that I was not quite Prince Charming, but more like a frog. It was February 13th. The day before Valentine's Day, the day, I promise you, I promise you, the day before Valentine's Day. And, you know, I was excited because this was the first time in my life that I was going to get to have Valentine's Day with a girlfriend, right? And, you know, as, as a culture, especially when you're single, right, we like romanticize Valentine's Day as if it's like this utopia of love where it reaches its full climax and the wings spread out through chocolate and stuffed animals, right? Like that's kind of our view of Valentine's Day. It's just this amazing day where pure love finds its true form. And so I was excited about it. I was giddy about it, right? I was 
in middle school, so I didn't have much money, so I think we went to like CVS or Walgreens, and I got like some candy and probably a stuffed animal and sprayed my cologne on it. But um, if you did that, you're not alone. You are not alone. And so it was a Wednesday, and so we're going to go to church that night. And right before we ate dinner, I decided to go online or, yeah, go down to my desk computer and get on AIM, right, Instant Messenger. That's what was cool when you were in middle school in the 2000s and you looked like you should have been a part of NSYNC. That's what you did. And so she was on there. And so because she was on there, we were able to talk. That's kind of how that worked. And she told me something odd. She, she wanted me to go and to check my email, which is just as strange then as it would be if somebody did that today. And so I went and I checked my email. And when I opened it up, I discovered something absolutely devastating. That through email, the day before Valentine's Day, this girl had decided to write me a breakup letter telling me that she didn't want to be with me anymore. And because I was living in La La Land, I was completely shocked by this happening. In fact, I was so shocked that at first I really had no emotion towards this. Right? I just kind of read the email and then I walk upstairs and my family's eating dinner around the dinner table and I go and I sit down and I tell them how this girl had broken up with me. And they laughed at me. That was their response. And they laughed because they didn't think I was being serious. Because again, I had no emotion. I was just kind of sitting there, taking all of this in, experiencing this shock. But they realized very soon that it was no laughing matter when it really sunk in what had happened. And I wept like a baby at my dinner table that night. So there I was, the day before Valentine's Day, February 13th. And I wasn't able to experience the first Valentine's Day with a girl. And what was crazy is how quickly my emotions towards this girl changed after this incident, right? When our relationship continued, but it went from no longer dating to instead being friends, right? And so, you know, it's crazy how, even though I once had excitement about seeing her, how quickly that became dread is I just hoped I didn't run into her at football games. And even though she used to make me so happy, all of a sudden, because we're now broken up, I was filled with, with sadness and, and sung a Michael Jackson song, She's Out of My Life, to the point that my sister came in and started crying. Yeah, that, that happened. Um, <laughs> or just this idea of, you know, loving this love, at least my seventh grade understanding of it, right, even turned into hatred as I couldn't believe how much this girl had hurt me, Right? And so this relationship with this girl was just flooded with all these different types of emotions. And see, we understand this and we get this, right? Because we understand that when it comes to being relational, it requires being emotional. That being relational requires being emotional. And we see this all throughout the different relationships that we're in, right? Because we are emotional beings, when we get in relationships with our parents, or which is by force, or with people by choice like our friends and the people that we date, we find ourselves having a whole range of emotions in different circumstances, in different situations, as different things come and go and unfold in our life, we are full of different emotions that we walk through. It's because being relational requires being emotional. And sometimes their emotions leave us down to a, a pretty difficult place where we find ourselves 
having some pretty negative feelings. And so today as we, we start this series and as we jump into the book of Psalms, what we're going to see is that David is in a place where he's having some pretty hard feelings, pretty negative emotions. Because he's having, like me, a, a February 13th type of day. And in the middle of this, he decides to write this psalm to God. Now, the word psalm, right, that we have in our Bibles, that's actually, if you translate that in the Hebrew or the Greek, it actually means songs, all right? Which is perfect when you understand what the book of Psalms was in ancient Israel. See, the book of Psalms in ancient Israel, when they would come and worship together, like we're doing now, that was their set list. And so what they would do is they would go through and they would pick out these different psalms and they would sing it together and they would praise God and they would worship God together as they joined in this, cor- this cor- corporate worship or coming together as a group. And so these psalms were written by different people in different situations experiencing a lot of different emotions. And so David writes the one that we're looking at tonight. And we don't know a lot about what's happening in the context of David's life when he writes this. Sometimes we're told, this time we're not. But there's a good chance that he is writing this psalm as he is running for his life. Possibly when he was running from Saul earlier in his life or even possibly when he was running from his son later on in his life because Absalom went a little bit loco and was trying to take his father's throne from him. But honestly, we don't even really really need to know the full context of what's happening here to really understand the emotions and the feelings that David has here. Because in this psalm, he does an amazing job of painting this picture so that we can see on full display how he is feeling and what he is going through in the midst of all of this. And so let's read Psalm 63, starting with verse 1 together. David says, oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water, right? So clearly we see very early on how desperate David is with God or for God in this situation. I mean, as he is sitting here and his life is in the balance, he is crying out to God, he is seeking God, he is thirsting for God, he is fainting for God, whatever that means, right? He is pursuing after God in his life. And what I love about this psalm is just the lyrical genius that David drops on us. Because see, David is writing this psalm as he's in the wilderness of Judah, a place that is uninhabited by people and a place that is scarce with water. And as he is writing this psalm, what he is doing is as a seasoned songwriter, he is using artistic elements based upon his surroundings, what's happening physically to explain how he feels spiritually. And like somebody who is longing for water in a dry place where there is none, David in this moment is longing and thirsting for God in this difficult place, in this dark moment crying out how desperately he needs him. And I've never had to run for my life before, but I can imagine the type of feelings that David's probably walking through as he's writing this psalm. Right, feelings like discouragement or confusion or even fear. And I get how desperate David is to hear God in this situation because I would be too. And I'd be so desperate to hear God's voice, his calming voice in order to dissolve the fear that I would be experiencing in this situation. 
And I would desperately want to feel God's warm presence in order to lift the discouragement in my life. And I would want to see God's peaceful hand come and end this confusion that I'm walking through. And so I get this, right? I understand how David feels in this situation. I get how desperately he needs God. But even though I get how David feels, if we're being honest and we're being real tonight, I'm a lot less familiar with what David is doing here. Because as David is sitting here and his life is on the verge of crumbling, and as he's running so he doesn't get killed, in this moment, David does something absolutely remarkable, absolutely incredible. Because in this moment, David makes the choice to worship God. In the midst of everything happening in his life, he decides to sit down and to write a song. To sit down and write a worship song to God. And he starts off by talking about how God is his God, right? That even in the midst of all of these emotions, he has not abandoned God. He is still showing his allegiance to God, who he knows is not a disconnected deity in this situation, but instead is moving even though he can't see what's happening. And in this moment, he chooses to show God his worth and his value by talking about how desperately he needs him. How he is longing for him spiritually the way that we long for something that we have to have in our lives like water physically. I mean, in this moment, David is choosing to worship God and that's what I'm not familiar with in a situation like this. Because if I'm honest, when I walk through a difficult place like David, my knee-jerk reaction, right, my go-to response isn't to sit there and worship God. Instead, right, I'm just trying to get through this, right? I'm just trying to get through whatever this emotion is, the discouragement, the fear, the confusion, all this kind of stuff. I'm just trying to get through it. I'm just trying to move past it, and then I can worship God, right? And then I can worship God when I like worshiping God, which is when life is easy. Because we know when life is easy, that's when worshiping God comes natural. When our lives are going great, Man, we're dating the love of our life. Man, we're crushing it in school. We're getting along with our parents. That's when worshiping God is easy. That's when we can come and we can hold up our hands and sing so loud that the person next to us feels extremely uncomfortable, right? That's when we can do that. But man, the reality is oftentimes when we walk into this place, that's not the life that we're living. Instead, we oftentimes bring a lot of negative emotions in here, a lot of emotions that are really honestly overwhelming us because of something going on in our life. Right? We walk into this place and we just got yelled at by our parents because we're spending way too much money. Or we walk into this place and the person that we thought was love our life tells us they want to take a break. Or we just find out that we failed the second test in that same class. And so we walk in this place with a lot of emotions going on in our life. And so in those moments, we struggle to worship. 
Right? We struggle to worship because we're discouraged because we just got chewed out. We're confused because we thought our relationship was somewhere that it's really not. We're afraid because we don't think we're going to be passing that class anymore. And so we want an easy life, right? We want things to go simple. But even though we want our life to be easy, we oftentimes realize that it's not. It's a lot harder than we thought it might be. And so like middle school Jesse, even though we want to be February 14th people, we realize that we're actually living in a February 13th world. And so it's hard and we struggle to come into this place of worship because we just, don't, we just don't feel it, right? And see, there's a reason we don't feel this. And this is so important as we, as we kind of really start things off tonight into this series. And the reason we don't feel it, right, the reason we find it difficult to worship with these hard emotions, these difficult feelings in our life is because what we do is we separate emotions and worship. Right, that's what we do. We come and we separate emotions and worship. So let me explain what I mean by that. Right, when it comes to us coming and praising God and worshiping God, what we have is a no hard feelings policy. And that's what we're calling this series that, no hard feelings, because that's kind of the mindset that we have when we come and we worship God. So when we come to worship God, we feel like we only can have good emotions. We only can have positive emotions when we worship God. So when we go through something, right, when we have a February 13th moment, we're in a difficult place, we struggle to worship God. And so we feel like we have to do something with those emotions if we want to worship them. And so first, we might try to suppress it. Right? We might try to pretend like it's not there. We might try to ignore it as we kind of sing to God and worship him. But because these emotions are so strong, man, that is hard. That is crazy difficult to do. Because these, man, these emotions are no joke. I mean, they can fill up our minds and, and control how we do things. I mean, they, they are difficult to shake and sometimes even seems impossible. So we might try to suppress it, right? We might try to push it down, but honestly, we just really feel like we're faking it because we, we feel like we're just trying to do something, but we're too distracted by something else. And so we can't suppress the emotions. Usually our second option is just to allow the emotions to consume us. And we just kind of spiritually check out and kind of say, yeah, I just don't, I just don't think I'm gonna feel it tonight or I'm just not gonna really get into this tonight. I'm just, I'm just too distracted by this test that I'm worrying about tomorrow. I'm just too upset because of what this person said to me before I got here. And so I'm just, I'm just gonna check out. I'm just gonna kind of back away and just kind of take a night off. And then when those emotions last even longer than a night, we just find ourselves saying stuff like, well, I'm just, I'm just going through a spiritual funk. Or I'm just kind of dealing with some stuff. But when I, when I move past that, when I kind of overcome that, when those emotions kind of go away, then I'll be able to worship God and have my relationship with him the way that I want to. And what we don't realize is what we're doing in those moments is that we're separating our emotions and worship. We're saying, look, these negative feelings, right? This, this worship, these two things can't go together. It's an either or type of thing, right? We can't bring them together. And so even though we know that being relational requires being emotional with all the people we interact with with our lives, we struggle to see that in our relationship with God. We think the only time that we can worship him is when we have good and positive emotions 
And when we don't, we have to take some time off. And so this leads to this inconsistency in our relationship with God. When how we feel determines where we are with him. And when things are going great and our life is easy and we're having these February 14th moments, man, then we're awesome. And our relationship with God, it's good. But when February 13th comes around, now we just have to take a break, right? So our relationship with God is inconsistent because of that. So we get frustrated and we get tired. And so much of my life, that's how I view worship and that's how I've done it. But the good news, right, the great news is that we have another option. And we have an option where we don't have to separate our emotions and worship, but instead they can come together as we sing to God. Where despite the fact that our emotions are changing constantly, we can still learn to worship God consistently. And we have an option where we don't have to try to worship God in spite of our emotions, but we can choose to worship God in light of our emotions, even the hard feelings. And that's what this series is for. Our series is for us to learn how we can do that, how we can worship God through our emotions, even the hard ones, even the difficult ones. And so throughout this series, we're gonna talk about four different emotions, four different emotions that we're gonna choose to worship God through. All right, we're gonna talk about discouragement, how we can worship God through our discouragement. We're gonna talk about confusion, we're gonna talk about fear and we're even gonna talk about disgust and how in the midst of these emotions, we don't have to try to get rid of them, but instead we can worship through them. So that's what we're gonna be doing in the upcoming weeks is looking at these different emotions and seeing how we can worship God through them. And so tonight, as we get this party started, what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about the Why? Right, we're going to focus on the specifics and the how later, but tonight we're going to talk about the why. We're going to find out why we can worship God regardless of what's happening in our life. And why we can praise him regardless of how we feel. And so as we continue to look at Psalm 63, David shows us the why. He gives us something that lays the foundation for everything else that we're going to talk about in this series. So let's continue reading in Psalm 63, beginning with verse two. It says, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. And then listen to what David says here. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift my hands. David explains to us here why he can worship God even when he can't feel his presence and why he can sing to God even when he can't hear his voice. And the reason that David can do this is because God's love is better than life. We have to allow the gravity of what David's saying here to really sink in for us to really understand the amazingness of it. Because what David is not saying here is that God's love is the best thing in life. Instead, he is saying that God's love is better than life. That is a huge difference. 
It's not just the best thing we have in life. Instead, it's the best thing, or excuse me, and that's better than life itself. Right, so think about your perfect life. Think about your happily ever after. Right, let's just go with this fairy tale theme. Right, think about that. Right, think about you marrying that guy or that girl that you want to marry. You get that amazing job, or you're making bank. Right. I mean, you have this amazing life full of kids and full of laughter and full of joy, right? Think about this perfect life that you can have. And what David is saying here is that God's love is better than all of that. It's not just better than some things in life. It's better than life itself. That's what David is saying here. That even the most perfect, best life that we can live can't even touch, can't even compare to the love that God has for us. That's the beauty of what this psalm is saying. But man, this love isn't just amazing, right? It is, right? I mean, David says, my lips will praise you because of it. Not only is it the constant thing in our life that never changes, but it's also something that is always there and that it never goes away. See, unlike our emotions, our emotions change, right? Our emotions shift from one thing to the other, depending on what's happening in our life. But what this reality is, is that God's love is an anchor that never changes and that never goes away. So regardless of what type of situation we find ourselves in, we can hold on to this constant reality that God's love is better than life itself. That's why David says, my lips will praise you and that I will bless you as long as I live because this is never gonna change and it's never gonna go away. And David gets this. He understands this. So even though he's in this horrible situation, he can still worship God because God's love is better than life itself. You see, we get this too. We understand this reality that even though our emotions change and even though our emotions go away, that God's love never changes and never goes away. Because we know that what Jesus has done on the cross never changes and it never goes away. Because Paul says that God demonstrates this love that is better than life to us. And while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. So this love that is better than life shines the brightest when God asked his son to step out into the spotlight and to take the place of undeserving sinners like us so that we can know God, so that we could say like David, God, you are my God. And this love screams the loudest. When Jesus threw his hard feelings cried out to God in agony as the weight of our sin crushed him. And this love becomes a reality because God decided to do what gods don't do. He died. And because he chose to die and to rise from the dead, all of us in this room can feel and know intimately this love that is better than life at all times, in all circumstances, in all places. And that's the beauty of what we see at the cross. And that's the beauty of the love that God has for us. And so because that love is constant, because that love never changes, we can always hold on to it regardless of what's happening in our lives.
and that when our emotions change, it doesn't. So that's the why. That's why we can worship God regardless of the hard feelings that we have. And what we have to realize is if being relational requires being emotional, we have to understand that that also applies with our relationship with God. That when we have those hard feelings, we can bring those into our relationship with God. Even if God, is, we feel like, is the source of those feelings, right? Even when we're upset with God and we're mad at God, we can still bring those into our relationship with him and we can still worship him because of that. And I know this because that's what the Psalms does. And as we walk through our series, that's where we're gonna hang out. We're gonna look at the book of Psalms and we're gonna see these people going through these hard feelings and through it, how they can still worship God and still look to him and still recognize that his love is better than life itself. And so that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna learn how we can worship emotionally. Because as emotional beings, that's how we worship. Emotional beings worship emotionally. And so we're gonna figure out how we do that. Not just with the good emotions, but also with the negative ones. Not just in joy, but also in fear. Not just when we're happy, but also when we're confused. That's what we're gonna find out how to do as we walk through the series together. We're gonna see how, as emotional beings, we can worship our God emotionally regardless of what's going on in our life. And so tonight, as we wrap up, here's my challenge for us. My challenge is to take a step. And let's choose tonight to worship God because his love is better than life. So regardless of what you're walking through, right, regardless of what's happening in your life, man, despite everything that's been taking place in your life, let's make the option right here, right now, as we begin this series together, to realize that God's love is better than life itself, which means anything that happens in our life, we can still worship him and we can still praise him. And tonight, let's make the step to worship God, not in spite of our emotions, but instead to worship God in light of them. As we focus on this amazing reality that God's love isn't just the best thing in life, but that God's love is better than life. And he went to great lengths so that we could have it. So let's do that right here and right now. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for tonight. Thank you, Father, that as emotional beings, we worship emotionally, not just with the good ones, not just with the easy emotions, Lord, but also with the hard ones. And so tonight, as we, as we jump into this series, God, that my prayer that we learn a lot, and myself included, that we'll take the step, God, to focus on this reality that never changes, that never goes away, that is always consistent is that your love is better than life itself. The cross screams it. The pages of script, scripture scream it. God, your love is something that is always there. And so tonight, God, we just wanna tap into that. 
we want to sing about this love that is consistent when we're not. We're going to sing about this love that never fades and never changes, even though our emotions do. God, and we want to sing about this love, Father, that even though it's hard for us to grasp and understand, it is better than everything this life can offer. And God, we're going to focus on this reality that we have this life because you chose to die so that we could. And so God, may we sing like David. May we say, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. And I faint for you as in a place that is dry with no water. And because your love is better than life itself, my lips will praise you. I will bless your name as long as I live. And I will lift my hands. May we do that, Lord, right here and right now. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.